Welcome to the Upside Podcast, powered by Upside Global and hosted by Julian Blinn, founder and CEO of Upside Global. Julian has been mining and scouting technologies for professional sports teams for over 10 years and has worked for major tech companies along with sports tech startups. In each episode, Julian interviews global leaders in sports to share knowledge on emerging technology in the sports industry and how these technologies can help improve the performance of individuals and organizations both on and off the playing field. And now here's your host, Julian Blinn. So today we have the honor to interview again a group of sports performance experts. So first we have Pierre Barrier, who is the head fitness coach and performance analyst of Leeds United, a Premier League club. So welcome, Pierre. Thank you. Welcome. Great. So and then we have uh, Alexi Pianozzi, who is the strength and conditioning coach for the Pittsburgh Penguins, a top NHL team. So welcome back, uh, Alexi. Hey, thanks for having me, Julian. Great. So, and then we have uh, Karam uh, Amnadi, uh, head athletic therapist at the CF Montreal, the top MLS team. So, welcome back, Karam. Thank you very much for having me. Great. So, guys, uh, what I want to talk to you about today was first uh, talk about the growing popularity of cryo chambers. I'd love to get your thoughts on the pros and the cons. And then I'd love to get your thoughts on uh, also cooling and eating therapy solutions like Game Ready. Uh, you know, we see a lot of teams adopting that these days. And then we'll talk about the growing appetite of uh, for public research papers and studies among the professional teams. And then lastly, I'd love to get your thoughts on Serena Williams' uh, retirement. How does it sound? Okay. Great. So for, first question is about, uh, you know, the growing popularity of cryo chambers. Uh, you know, more and more teams are using cryo chambers as part of the athlete's recovery. Uh, one of my contacts, Dr. Ting, even mentioned one time to me that, I mean, the way it works is it kind of chocks the body and accelerate the heating process. Uh, even mentioned that some athletes have been, uh, uh, you know, it helps also to improve the mood, which was, I think, a bit of a surprise to me. But uh, so what is your take on cryo chambers? What are the pros and the cons? Have you guys have been using it in the, in the past or anybody wants to start? Sure, I'll, I'll go first. I, um, I, I'm a big proponent of cryo chambers. I think they can be very effective. Um, I think like any other modality, they kind of fit amongst uh, the other tools in your tool belt for what that individual might need. Um, if your goal is to reduce inflammation, if your goal is to restore some balance to the autonomic nervous system, if your local versus localized versus peripheral needs, uh, then I think you kind of go to a different modality or a different recovery tool. But yeah. uh, I really like the cryo chamber almost to sort of offset or try to reset some autonomic nervous system balance, trying to get a guy who might be, you know, overly sympathetic and, and trying to drive a little bit more activity on that parasympathetic side to facilitate some recovery. So um, we have a cryo unit in Pittsburgh that players uh, do enjoy using sort of post-practice once their day is complete. And uh, anecdotally, guys will respond with, I had a great nap in the following afternoon. And it's almost like a big, uh, a big lull and, and a big exhalation after uh, you know they get mm. home and kind of sit down on the couch. They have a hard time getting up, which if you're trying to drive recovery, then getting a bit of a nap, getting a bit of a deeper quality sleep, maybe even that, uh, that could be a very beneficial thing. So I think cryo chambers, like any other good modality, have their place at the right time for the right person and can be really effective. Great, but thank you, Alexi. And anybody uh, next, Pierre or Karam? Yeah. yeah, I can go. Uh, so when I was in Toronto, we had two um, that I was using on a regular basis. 
interestingly enough, they were coming from an NHL team that used to use them, but didn't feel like they, they need to use it anymore. Uh, but for us, you know, it was about the same thing. Uh, I've, I've tried them, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it was when, when they came out, obviously there's different type of cryo chamber. I tried one called Simmer, which was like, it looked like two sauna connected next to each other. Yeah. One minus 60, the other one's minus 110. And uh, again, like every technology, like I said, I, I like to try them first. And, and I thought that there was very positive effects. And, uh, and you know, aside from the effects that have already been mentioned, you know, um, I thought it was more peripheral for me. So I, I think that, um, you know, if we, if, if we come to our sport, uh, which is on paper, not a big contact sport compared to some other like uh, major American sports, I think it's very useful for goalkeepers. You know, uh, again, everything that, uh, if you've been battered and bruised, um, I think that this will help you get to the state that's been also that 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 we discuss a state where you can relax and uh, and recover and move on to something else. Um, it's also a complement to all the uh, recovery techniques. So, in summary, I would always say that you know the cold bath would you know like uh, cool you to the core, and then the cryo chamber would definitely uh, help you recover on the. Uh, on the periphery, so so yeah, I, I like them. And again, it's it's all about you know if the player thinks that you know he, he feels the effect, he sees the difference. Uh, we all know the science, but recovery is very, uh, I guess, is very individual. And um, and and I really believe that it should be part of the uh, part of the um, the option that that you can offer to uh, to your players. Okay, great, uh, Karam. What are your thoughts on that? I really wish that we were going to talk about this topic like next week because mm -hmm. uh, right in front of me, I have a research article uh, and I was supposed to read uh, post-exercise recovery, cooling and heating, a periodized approach. Uh, the, the author is Robin T. Uh, Thorpe. And... Um, it basically talks about a periodizing approach to heating and cooling. We talk about cryo chambers. They also talk about, um, you know, uh, water immersion, game ready, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, I am a, a big um, advocate of uh, using uh, cryo chambers, using cold therapy uh, specifically for two uh, components one recovery number two bringing that uh, autonomic system uh, down uh, just like uh, Alex uh, had mentioned but it's really important to remember that um, yes we're talking about cryotherapy it's like booming and it's like the the catch phrase catch word but it it's important to remember that it's part of a system and so if you have uh, optimal recovery strategies and it fits within that system, then, you know, all the better. But if you uh, don't believe in it, then it won't serve its purpose. So that's my take on it. And, and, yeah, and I, think, I think we passed the booming point, you know, I mean, that's again, from my experience. Um, so I was shortly in the Premier League in 2016 and there were mobile crowd chambers at every game, you know, available for every team after games, you know. So we 
this is not the case anymore, you know. And I'm at the club right now who doesn't have a crowd chamber. So um, again, in Toronto we had a crowd chamber that were used for the NFL team and the NHL, and that you know that been given to us. So I, yeah, I think we we passed that that trendy phase. I think the the the, uh, the, the clubs organization that have crowd chamber now are the one are the one that uh, number one decided to have some because they've been uh, experimenting. Uh, before, as opposed to you know, um, trying out something new. Yeah, and have you had any uh, players who say, you know what, I I do not want to use cryo chamber? Have you had any situations like that? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, for sure. You know, obviously, like like everything, you know, there are other things that you make uh, compulsory. Uh, and the other thing that you make optional, I think this one early on, you can explain the science, you can explain, you know, uh, the reason why it would be beneficial, but you know, it'd be detrimental and counterproductive to shove to shove like a recovery technique, you know, anyone down any player's throat. Um, I think. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you completely because sometimes it's it, it becomes counterintuitive when you're shoving it down their throats. They're just like, yo. Leave me alone. I don't want to do this. I, I, I like I have a headache. Leave me, you know. So you just leave them and let them be, you know. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, hey, next topic. It's about uh, cooling eating therapy, right? Eating therapy. Uh, there's a lot of different vendors. Game Ready is one of them. Uh, have you guys used it before? What are the main benefits? Would you recommend it? What is your take on those types of solutions? Um, I can go first. Um, so for for us, very, very big on game readies, just like very big on uh, using um, cold tubs and whatnot. Unfortunately, in Montreal, by the way, we, we do not have uh, cryo chambers. Uh, I've been talking to our uh, owner in the hopes that one day we will get one, but it just takes up a lot of space. So yeah. you know, within the, the environment that we're in, it's just not possible to have one. So it, to replace the cryo chambers, I have nine game readies, uh, uh, you know, within our facility. So uh, almost um, the entire starting lineup can benefit from the use of uh, game readies if needed. And so, when when in need, they will they will use it. You know, a lot of times we'll have players who had a heavy session. Uh, what they like to do is they like the quad attachments and they'll they'll have two hoses attached to the game ready and then they'll do uh, both quads and hamstrings after, you know, a heavy uh, session outside. And, it, you know, it, whether it, it has a, a positive effect or not for them, just the cooling effect on a hot after a hot day is always good for them. So whatever we can do as medical professionals and professionals to advocate best practices to keep these guys in tip-top shape, we'll do, you know? And if that means using game readies, then we use the game ready. So I, I was going to say, Karim, if you don't have a cryo chamber, because you're in Canada, right? Just go outside. Ask you guys to go outside for a couple of minutes. <laughs> Six months a year, you get a natural one. Uh, in Montreal, in Winnipeg. Yeah. yeah. And it's starting, huh? It's starting. Yeah. The one, the one thing with Cry Chamber that, you know, obviously we're moving on to game ready and, and the cold therapy techniques, but the, obviously it's, yeah, they haven't gotten around the fact that it's it's expensive. It's expensive not only to uh, to acquire, it's expensive to to maintain, maintain. and to run. Okay. The, uh, the liquid natural gem, uh, 
cost a lot. And if it's not, then if it's free, and then obviously it's mostly uh, the, the electricity bill. So that 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 there is a there is a real issue there. No question. For sure. Uh, Alexi, what, what's your take on that, real quick? Yeah, we, um, we use the game ready as well. I think when it comes to any kind of um, you know the, the compression is one side of it, the the cooling or the you know anti-inflammatory benefits of of, of cold therapy, uh, I think are well documented, but. Uh, I think it depends on where you are sort of in the, in the adaptation process for us, if we're playing games on a back-to-back -back night with some travel in between, and, you know, we know guys aren't going to be recovered in 16 hours when they have to play again. So reducing inflammation with cold or with compression can be a really good thing. But if we're, you know, in the preseason, or if we know we have, you know, uh, a certain amount of time for that inflammation to run its course in a, in a proper and appropriate way to create adaptation, then, I think game ready or something like that could actually be counterproductive, but, you know, in season, um, I think, you know, soccer in, in most divisions doesn't play the, quite the same frequency as, you know, the NHL or the NBA with game. We have, you know, three and a half games a week, essentially kind of thing. So a little bit different frequency. So we're kind of riding that um, uphill downhill is, you know, sliding inflammation where it can become really applicable for us. And then at some quieter times and especially in the off season, um, maybe a little bit less practical of, of it to, tool at that time that makes sense uh, julian yeah have you heard of a company um I'm trying to remember the name uh kelvy i've Kel heard of it yeah i've heard so, of it i have not tried it but i've heard of it yes it, it, and it, i think the guy who started it up was a former head athletic trainer with the golden state warriors is that possible uh what's his name do you remember I can't, I can't remember his name, but anyways, to, to the point of that, uh, that machine, it, it used um, electricity and they, it was like plates that you would wrap around, like, let's say a quad or, or, um, uh, you know, a calf and you could, you could um, switch between cold and hot. I think you're talking about Johan. Johan is the formatic trainer for the wires. I think that's the one you're referring to. The uh, former, yeah. right? Yes, I talked yeah. to him actually just yesterday. So I think that's the oh. one you're talking about. Yes, I think it's a and different the machine's name. Is what? I think it's, it's a different name. It's a different name, but yeah, I know exactly what you're talking to. Yes. Okay. Do you have any insight on that machine? Because it it does that. It does. I think we well, yeah, it, it does exactly that. I think the issue with some of those cooling heating therapy or it's that it's hard to maintain it, the temperature for a long period of time. And he was able to, with this technology, to maintain it, the temperature, constantly. That's why he built this technology. Uh, but we can talk offline. I can, I can uh, put you in touch mm -hmm. with him and so on, or any of you guys. So uh, they'll be launching the product actually uh, towards the end of the year. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, great. So, hey, uh, next question. It's about, you know, there's a growing appetite for research papers, right, and studies among professional teams. Especially, I've seen this, especially in Europe, when uh, they, you know, because maybe they work with universities, uh, they always want to know, okay, well, this is maybe a great technology, but then what's the science behind it? So, for you guys, how important is it to maybe use a technology, uh, but you, do you really want to know what's the science behind it? If there's any research papers, like how important is it to you guys? Anybody? I think um, I think the science behind any application is important. 
But I think it's also, you know, incumbent on the person, uh, the professional reading the study or searching out that study to recognize that, you know, running a, a gold standard randomized control trial on, you know, every device or nutritional intervention or training protocol is a difficult thing to do. Um, you know, running scientific trials is difficult in general, let alone on each, every specific thing that you want to learn a little bit about. So yeah. sometimes research is lacking, not because of the idea is poor or there's a good, uh, you know, historical precedent for such a concept, but just because by nature of funding or availability or logistics, they're, they're unable to study it. So I don't always necessarily need, you know, a, a randomized gold standard trial to, you know, say I, I will sign off on this nutritional intervention or this training program. But I think it is also incumbent that that idea or concept be grounded in good science. You know, I saw this work with this, this subgroup. I therefore, you know, think it could theoretically work for my subgroup or this nutritional intervention was shown in this small study to be very beneficial. It hasn't received you know, a, a larger uh, cohort yet, but with these promising results, I think there's some good scientific basis for some of these inferences or some of these hypotheses. So um, it's always great to have scientific evidence, but I think it's also incumbent to recognize that just because the scientific evidence isn't there doesn't mean the idea or the concept or the intervention is is an invalid one at that point. Yeah, good point. Uh, maybe Karam up here. Do you guys want to comment on that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's about you know obviously you mentioned that it's more. Um, like a requirement in Europe. I mean, I don't know. I've, this is not what I've what I've been experiencing. I know that the context is such here that, you know, the, the clubs at high level will have definitely a more PhD students just because there is more of a culture, especially in England, I would say, of um, when it comes to sports science, having, um, you know, having like larger staffs and, and more of a... Um, more students that are that ambition working with professional clubs, especially in football. So that that leads to um, to more options for clubs to have researchers per se. Um, and and I mentioned the word context already. For me, it's all about context. Um, I, I went into a Twitter, probably my Twitter feud this week with someone that came out with the paper, um, and it was uh, you guys have probably heard it. It was a study with ten. I think it was ten. Uh, inexperienced or amateur level, whatever the wording was, and pretty much the conclusion was that in terms of hypertrophy, the cooling, the, the cooling uh, strategies, uh, um, the, the, the cold tanks were like really ineffective. And then by default, people were reading this as like, you know, cold tanks are useless. And mm -hmm. so the context is like, if you study over three years, a population of 100 professional Hockey players, soccer athletes, you know, and then come with a, come with the, uh, and then when, and then focus on the recovery effect, just like our first topic was today, and come up with some kind of a conclusion or at least a lead. Then I would recognize this, but it's completely out of context for me to to be on like viral on Twitter after a study on ten. Um, I think it was whatever the adjective was, you know, like amateur level athletes. You know, and then say that, and we know that on the hypertrophy, this is not what the cold tanks are for. You know, um, so anyway, to answer your questions, um, I I don't go by research, maybe as much as I should, um, maybe because also I'm, I'm I'm 50 now and I've seen a few uh, things come and go. I think it's more. Uh, I don't want to. I want to call it trial and error. 
when it comes to like big decision, you know, financial decision, when the budget has to, uh, you have to justify the decision, then, then of course you would, you would look at every resource available uh, and to make uh, the most educated, educated choice as possible. Uh, but most of the time for the other technology, I think we, we just get them and we do like a, a random trial and then, uh, you know, talk with colleagues, consult with other professionals and then uh, make up our mind. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, last questions. Uh, we're still in the middle of the U.S. Open tennis in New York. One of the big news uh, was the fact that, you know, Serena Williams retired. Uh, she lost, uh, I think, in the third round. Um, so what is your take on her legacy? I mean, she won 23 Grand Slam. Right. Um, she's been an exceptional you know, athletes and players. I think she really changed the game for women tennis. So what, what is your take on Serena Williams and her legacy and anybody wants to uh, um, talk about that? I, I, I watched a lot of uh, tennis uh, once upon a time when I had the time and uh, I, I saw her, you know, from from the bottom to winning championships and far and beyond, but I, I really was able to get a, a understanding to uh, who the, the Williams sisters are after watching the movie King Richard. Yeah. It really gives you, it sets, it sets you in a time and gives you an idea as to where she came from and what she had to overcome the adversity. Uh, I mean, from, from one angle, uh, she had to overcome a race and color barrier. Then she had to overcome uh, a male versus female barrier. And then to add on top of, of those two huge barriers, she had to overcome being in the shadows of her sister because, you know, yeah. the older one. And then winning multiple championships after her, her sister, you know, to being recognized as one of the top uh, athletes of uh, her generation in the world but there's one quote that she's that she said uh, yeah. and it really resonates with me she said when you're a champion you're always a champion so behave like one you know uh, mm -hmm. so, uh, cheers which, to which he didn't always by the way I, I agree with you I agree with you <laughs> But we can't blame her for that. You know, sometimes it gets to the best, the best of you, you know? Good point. Um, Pierre, maybe you want to go next? Tennis is yeah, I mean, like you got you to gotta, you gotta admire uh, slash respect uh, her longevity, you know? I mean, she's like, I, mean, I don't think we will, uh, even in the world of tennis, where you can see, you know, on the men's side, the, 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 the big four should be a big three, you know, that has been around for a while. She's... She's been more dominant, uh, I would say, than any other uh, male member of the Big Four. So that's that's you know obviously something like I said that we've been able to witness. Obviously, the fact that she came with the sister, this is not something we see very often as well. Um, I have to say, this is why I pointed out that uh, she had an easier way to act as a champion when she was really on top and when she faced some adversity at times, she had a behavior that honestly for me, I would remember. Uh, this is not a eulogy here, so we can be, <laughs> we can be honest. Um, yeah, I was disappointed by uh, some of the tensions, for lack of a better word, she's had uh, um, in recent years. But as a as an athlete, as a tennis player, it's just 
Yeah, I'm glad to have seen it, uh, to uh, to have seen her play all these years, and uh, and I, and I think she's going at the right time, which is not easy. Um, I think this is the biggest decision you know, all these athletes have to make, and and uh, you know Federer is facing the same one right now, and I think Serena is going out on in her own terms, and and that's a uh, that's also a, a big achievement. Yeah, good points, um, Alexi. Any thoughts on Serena? Yeah, I think it was, she was an unbelievable athlete to watch, uh, you know, for so long. And I remember the uh, the conversation when she, I can't remember which major she had, but uh, Andy Murray was getting interviewed, you know, I think it was after a Wimbledon match. And they talked about, do you think she's the greatest uh, female tennis player? And he just sort of stopped the, the, the journalist and said, tennis player, you know, and just, just tried to, Randy Murray's always been very uh, forthcoming and honest on things like that. But I think she was just, she's one of the greatest tennis players of all time. She never played against the men. The men never played against the women. That's, you know, just the nature of tennis. But I think her, her impact on the sport, empowering young women all across the world, really with her game, uh, kind of doing it a little bit of a different style too, a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more uh, physical as well, I think was, uh, was a little bit trailblazing for her. Um, I haven't had the opportunity to watch King Richard yet, but I've, I've been told by multiple people that I need to, so I'll, I'll have to get on that. But anytime you get a chance to watch an elite athlete like that, you know, one of the greatest of all time, if not the greatest, I think it's uh, something we always take for granted until it's gone. So I'm, uh, I'm very fortunate that I got a chance to watch her. I saw her play live actually in 2015 at the U.S. Open, and that was pretty cool. Watched her on the practice courts for a little bit as well, which was uh, anybody who's never been to the U.S. Open, I would highly recommend it because it's uh, – you get a pass to go on the ground and you can walk around all the practice courts and all the game, most, almost all the game courts. And it's really cool. Just to, it's like Disneyland for tennis fans. And it's, yeah. uh, it's a cool experience to watch them practice and watch them go through their routines and stuff like that. And hers was, uh, was no exception. Yeah. I think, yeah. Go the ahead. one thing I can say, I mean, I, I literally bumped into her a few times because when I was at the galaxy, she used to train, you know, we share the facility with the USTA training center for the West coast. So literally one day I bumped into her and she she was uh, very reserved, you know, very, uh, very, I wouldn't say shy or introverted, but, um, you know, this is when you see the trinity of people, when you don't see them, you will see them outside of the environment. Mm. Uh, and, and to me, this was great to see that she was very genuine and, you know, and and quote unquote normal or, you know, respectful outside of the court because sometimes, Having been on having been on the ATP uh, for a few years, sometimes it's it's not the case for uh, some of these uh, champions, uh, some of the current ones for sure. So, her image is actually you know which she's a, definitely a fighter, a competitor, and even if she like I said she had some some bad reactions of the coach, she's a she's a very uh, very respectable person. I thought. Uh, great, yeah. Well, look, uh, all great points. So, look, we are at the end of the, the podcast. I want to thank you, all of you, for your time today. Thanks. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Julian. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening. To access past episodes and other research, articles, and analysis of sports technology, please visit our website, theupside.us. Subscribe to the Upside newsletter and receive full access to our sports tech business letter and website. Royalty-free music is provided by ibaudio.com. The Upside podcast provides timely insights and interviews with global leaders in sports technology. Until next time, keep looking to the Upside.